Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Well, as the story goes, there was an African pastor. He was not considered successful by any of our modern measurements. He led a small congregation in a remote tribe. We don't even know his name. In fact, in all of his life, only one document has survived to tell his story. But that one document has led countless sons and daughters to realign and reignite their lives. It reads, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. So I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tanged visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence. Prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the kingdom of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. This journal entry was found on the desk of his humble residence, written the evening before he was unexpectedly martyred for his faith. Stories like this inspire us because they represent a life fully lived, a life fully spent, a life fully given, a life that matters. And if we're honest this morning, we want that, don't we? We want a life that matters. 
But for many of us, we can't see a path to a life that matters because we're just too busy feeling buried under a life we're just trying to manage. We're always running. We're always stressed. We're always tired. And we're hoping that all the stuff we're spending ourselves for is going to actually count. But all too often, if we could put words to the refrain in our heart, it's just that we don't have enough time. There's not enough time. Can anybody relate with that this morning? It's not a hypothetical question. Can anybody relate with that this morning? I want to promise you this morning that we still have enough time to be who God created you to be. I'm going to ask right here at the start of our time that you just place your hand on your heart and you would say this. You would say, I have enough time. I have enough time. Somebody else, you feel like time has been squandered or a dream has gone away, and what you need to say over your heart this morning is, I still have enough time. See, all of us have enough time to be who God created us to be. But wherever we misunderstand our mission, we will mismanage our minutes. Last week, I shared in a message how Jesus came to seek us and to find us, to save us and to fill us, and to send us on the front lines of a mission, restoring broken places in creation that is waiting right now for us and that only that is going to fulfill us. We shared how it's not comfort or entertainment or the American dream or a corporate ladder. It can't be reflected in a bank account. It's not something we can add to an online shopping cart or something we can drive around and look cool. And while some of that has a place in our life as a gift or a blessing, it's a hollow target to aim our life at. But if we misunderstand our mission, we will mismanage our minutes. And so last week we concluded, we're all around the room in our first service, our second service. I'm believing that people here in the podcast were standing up saying, I see my mission, here am I, send me. So this morning I want to ask this question. How can we ensure that our lives won't be too scattered to be sent? I want to share three ways to courageously call us to examine our hours into a life that matters. The first is this, if you want to live a life that's sent, you must begin with your best yes. Begin with your best yes. And we need to understand this, that a full schedule isn't necessarily a faithful one. We've got this mantra that goes around today, everywhere we go, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And some of us say it through a tired complaint, but often... We hold it as a badge of honor. Look at how important I am. Look at all the things that I'm part of. And whether we're sharing it through complaint or accommodation, our pace is so popular and so accepted and has become so normal that no one is challenging it. And we will never change what we're not willing to challenge. So this morning, I'm here in love to challenge our pace. Because busyness for a Christian is a blurred banner that reveals that we do not yet see as we ought to see. God gave the human race 24 hours. 
because 24 hours is sufficient. That means that being too busy to faithfully live out our calling isn't a scarcity problem, it's a stewardship problem. And it is a problem. See, that African pastor and the Apostle Paul and Mother Teresa all operated under the same currency of 24 hours that have been given to you and I because we have enough time. I want to challenge us this morning to stop blaming time and to take responsibility for our lives and our gloriously high callings that we've been given. The Apostle Paul writes about this calling in Colossians when he says this. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is so important that Paul wrote it not once, not twice, not three times, but in the New Testament, four times. Walk worthy of the Lord. 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 That word worthy, it means fitting. It means choosing to carry yourself in a way that matches your actual value. You belong to Jesus this morning. Anybody belong to Jesus? (laughs) Four people in the room belong to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you're not going to participate now, you're not going to like what's coming next. Anybody in the room belong to Jesus this morning? If you belong to Jesus, then presently right now, you are a royal son and daughter of the Most High King. You're a carrier of His authority. The same power. Somebody say, same power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead now beats in your chest. You've been assigned a unique mission as a core member of the fellowship of the unashamed. You're a peacemaker. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador. And when you walk in the room, beloved one, when you walk in the room, lives and regions and destinies can change because Christ in you has come to town. And when we know that, according to Paul, we will walk worthy in a way that every moment and every action will bear fruit. The problem is, most of us know that, but we don't know that. We got it here. And I watch when we proclaim truth. It's where Chris had to to stand in the midst of our worship and just charge us, and that's good. That's what we need fivefold leaders for, is to remind us of the target But what was happening in that moment is we were singing songs that we knew that we didn't know. And Paul says that if we're going to walk worthy, we've got to know in the core of our being who he called us to be. I think the problem with humanity is not that we desire too much for our lives. I think it's actually that we make too little of what Jesus actually intends to do through us today through anyone who would just surrender. We don't see And so we let our most precious commodity, our time, our energy, our soul, slip through our fingers. Paul continues the book of Ephesus. He writes these words. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand the Lord's will. What's he saying? Come into agreement with God's high calling. 
for your life. So can I ask a question this morning? Will you come into agreement for God's high calling for your life? Do you? All right. I'd like us to dance a duet this morning, okay? And right now, and I say it in love, but right now I come into a room that we come sometimes, and it's like I'm, I'm carrying a monologue. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is in us, yes? When we recognize who we are, when you step in the room, actual destinies and lives and regions change. Yes? yes. If that's actually true and we actually believe it, then we're going to live in a way that everything we do, is the Bible true or not? Yes. If the Bible is true, it says that when you know who you are, you will walk worthy. When you walk worthy, you won't mismanage your minutes. But on the body of Christ today, we're mismanaging our minutes. Why? Because we know it, but we don't know it. And so the question I'm asking in love this morning is will we receive the high calling, Jesus says, even if it feels like there's an 18-inch gap here, will we choose to make a choice to elevate God's faithfulness over our feelings and say, hey, that calling that you said, I want it. Anybody, yes? yes. Then if that's true, Paul says that we have to order our days very carefully. I think I broke my phone. <laughs> I really think I broke my phone. <laughs> there it is. We're coming back. There's a principle in the Bible, a principle of first fruits. And it says this that what matters most, we give first. So, the people of Israel, they started this thing that many Christians have continued called the tithe. The tithe was the first 10%. It's not just 10% you give. No, it was specifically the first. Why? Here was the message. If I don't get to invest anything else, I'm going to make sure that I give this. Because I don't know what happens after this moment. But because this is first, because it matters most, I'm going to give it first. I'm going to give my best yes here. Here's the problem. If you're anything like me, I find for most of us, we often leave the things that will matter most in the end until the end of our energy and our schedule while we're run by the tyranny of the urgent. So we can't start a sent life, if we're talking about that, by asking, how do I fit that into my current schedule? That may be what's happening. Sometimes we come in and somebody starts telling us away and we're like, how am I going to fit that piece in? And maybe you came in this morning and you're thinking, hey, maybe he's just going to give me a few tools, a few tools and resources. And I want to tell you, you can't live a sent life by trying to add it already to our schedule because though we have enough time, we don't have enough time. So we've got to start from scratch. So everyone hearing my voice, I want to give you a big congratulations. You've just been awarded from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords 168 hours a week. Woo! Everybody, we have it. We've started from scratch. Now he says, make the most of it. So if we're starting from scratch, can we start from scratch? Yes? yes? If we're starting from scratch, then what matters most? I'm so glad you asked. Because Jesus was once asked this very question. He was asked what matters most. In the religious people of Jesus' day, they had 613 laws they had to meticulously follow. They thought that's what God wanted. Now that's quite a to-do list. But a leader stepped out and said, hey, but what matters most? I, I don't think, I don't know that he meant it this way, but he's like, Jesus, I don't know that I'm going to get to 613. 
So if I can't do it all, what matters most? And Jesus' answer is so shocking, and I want to challenge you this morning in that 18-inch journey that we talked about to make sure that we hear these words in a new and fresh way. So I want you to say this with me. Everybody hands up. Say, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I'm ready to hear from you this morning. Speak to me in a life-transforming way. I only want to hear you speak to me about a life that matters. You agree with that? Say amen. We look like we're being held up in a bank right now. That's so cool. <laughs> Jesus asked what matters most. He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I want somebody to get that last part in a new way and get gloriously, deliriously excited this morning because this is Jesus speaking to you, and what he has to say is this. I don't have a list of 613 things I expect you to do. There's only one thing that will ever be required from my heart. One thing that becomes a few things that change everything. So what matters most? If we're starting 168 week, uh, hours a week blank, what matters most? He said, love me with all of you. Our foundational core value that we started and built Overflow Church on is a value of intimacy that says this, friendship with God is our greatest privilege. So we make it our greatest priority. Jesus says that is our best yes. Somebody says, wait, are you saying that's more important in my time than working a job and providing for my family? Yes. Are you saying that's more important than taking care of my health and my fitness and, you know, I'm the temple of the Lord? Yes. Are you saying that's more important than this whole mission that you're saying that we're to live sent? Yes. Jesus' top priority is always you. He wants your heart. The end of his life, the final week of Jesus' life, a dinner was thrown in his honor. And much preparation had been made. Many important guests had come in. But what happened wasn't on the agenda. There was this woman named Mary of Bethany who was always messing stuff up in the stories of Jesus. She brought her most treasured possession, the jar of perfume that cost a year's wages. And now for a woman in that time, what you need to understand is that lavish and that extravagant of a gift was probably a wedding dowry or an inheritance. Either way, it was a one-of-a-kind gift she would never see again. And Mary chose there at that dinner to break open this jar at Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. The disciples became indignant. They said, that vessel of perfume was valuable. We could have used that vessel on a mission for the poor. Jesus replied saying, you will always have the poor among you. But this is where I want that vessel to be broken sent. I want you to hear me this morning. We are the jar of perfume. That's who we are in the kingdom of God. You are a one-of-a-kind gift that has been made. And what Jesus is desperately saying this morning is that we will go to the poor. But his priority is that our lives would be continually broken open and spent in adoration at his feet. And that alone is our best yes. 
It means we have to position our time and our energy and our soul to see him and love him and be with him because he is our one thing. Whatever that looks like for you means that we have to be people. If we're going to know how to ever live sent, we've got to build our lives on intimacy and put it first and protect it. What does that mean for the people of God? I know we all look different, but I know that it means this. We all need intentional, undistracted time at the feet of Jesus. It's funny. There's a lot of messages that I can preach in a lot of different places in the last years of my life. And when I'll preach messages about storming the gates of hell, there's hooping and hollering. When I'll give tools and resources that we can add to already busy lives, there's hooting and hollering. When I tell us we've got to flip the whole card over and some of the things we're giving our time to, he never acquired and they're out of order and they're misaligned and that we're to rebuild our mission by living at his feet. Almost always, there's a hush over the room. I don't know what that's about. I just figured I would share it with you. I think sometimes what we want is we want a tool or a gadget or a resource. And what I want to tell you this morning, if you want the most foundational thing, if you're waiting for the twist, if you're waiting for the surprise ending, there's not one. People who will not live at the feet of Jesus are not sent people or they're not sent for long. You want to know what it is to be sent, we have to live at the feet of Jesus. And every single day, there are a million voices that are vying for our attention and our soul and our energy. And the loudest voice wins. We've got to prioritize the first thing in our life above all of the urgent places that are calling saying, you need to come here. Mom, we're needed here. Dad, you're needed here. Above all the urgent things, we've got to put Jesus first. And you say, could that actually be true? Well, it was in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, it says this. It says, news spread about Jesus all the more. So crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There are some verses in the Bible that are so ironic, they just crack me up. I want you to imagine this for a minute. It's the middle of a revival. Everybody's coming through. They got a line. They're all like, we need to be prayed for. We're, we're sick. This is going on. Can we agree that sick people getting healed matters to God? And yet in Luke chapter 5, it says, while they were lining up, Jesus is like, see ya. I got to go spend some time before my father. And I'll be back after that. And in fact, we read that a number of times in the gospel that while all of this is going on in ministry, Jesus often interrupted his ministry and needs and the urgent to go and be with his father. There will always be a need. There will always be urgent. But what we need is bold conviction to say no to good things that are keeping us from our one thing. From our best yes. Now, if we do that, if we as believers, and if you want to know what the secret to revival is, I believe it's that. I believe we could pray right now and end it. And if we would just do that, the world would change. Why? Because I said that one thing becomes a few things that change everything. Here's what happens. As you get still with your father and you see and you remember in the midst of a mundane and ordinary day just how deeply he loves you, how great and wide and high and deep is the love of God in all of your mess, in all of your unfinished, that he adores you and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you and he will never change it. You can't help but live sent. You can't help but step out of that place and love your literal neighbor as Jesus has literally loved you. But please hear me. 
Those can't be items we add to an agenda. This is who we've become 24-7 in all the places we find ourselves. Ascent life is a total change in how you see people and the world and yourself and your God. It's not, give me a gospel presentation to memorize. It's not, I'm going to add on Tuesday night, that's the night I go on mission. No, this is who you are now. It's who you are at work and with your family and looking at the mirror when you preach the gospel to yourself a million times every moment, every day. It's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 10 when he said this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We've got to kill this idea that a mission is a thing that we do sometimes by some people. The simple gospel of the scent happens everywhere people are. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to get it. You're like, I want to live scent. What do I do? Somebody even asked me that this morning. I want to live scent. What do I do? I said, guess what? The simple gospel happens everywhere people are. You want to know how to live scent? You live every single moment to receive your Father's love. You spend undistracted, intentional time before him, hearing him like the disciple John leaning back on, the, on, on Jesus and hearing what he has to say to you and then slow down and intentionally release that love to everyone you encounter. We've made it much more difficult than it is. Now next week I am going to share how we can walk as a missionary, not by adding more to our life, but learning how to bring the people into the rhythms of what you're already doing and share the love of God there in building incarnational relationship. I'm also going to share how we can't do this as a lone ranger, but you've been called into a community that grows and goes together. But before we can get there, see, if we don't get this part right, guys, if we move past this week, because there's some of you that are so fired up, and last week you're all like, send me, send me, send me, and now I'm, I'm sending you to your room. Right? And I feel that. I feel the tension because there are some of you right now, you're like, I'm just ready to go. And I want to say this. I can't tell you yet the steps of how to walk as a missionary because if we miss this, we miss everything. If we don't live at our Father's feet, it's another program that we will burn out with a God complex thinking we're here to rescue the world instead of to live among them like our Savior did. That wasn't even in my message, but that's for somebody. We've got to begin with our best yes. The second one I want to share this morning is this. How do we make sure we're not too scattered to be sent? We need to get a new vision for our vocation. All of us have a dominant job, something that we, either by the feeling of calling or by necessity, that we give large numbers of hours of our day to. So for some, it'd be a place of employment where you get a paycheck. So anybody who works a job where you get a paycheck, can you lift up your hand real quick? Lift it proudly. You guys, some of you guys are like, I don't know. I don't like doing this. In all right? Some of you might be a student who's in school. Any student that's in school, that could be middle school, high school, grad school, college. Anybody there? Awesome. For some of you, it's going to be the role of a stay-at-home mom or dad. Do we have any stay-at-home moms or dads here? I need to say something in the room to stay-at-home moms and dads. It's time to redeem this calling. It isn't that you don't have a job for the love of God. You are shaping the souls of the most central people in your world and the environment that God put them in. I want to speak to moms educating your kids. You are changing legacies. And it matters. It's time that you see it as a vocation, and I speak honor over your call. All of us have something that we give the dominant hours of our day to, yes? But many of us are struggling 
where God is calling us to see. We're trying to survive the season that we're in. We romanticize a dream job, and if we're being honest, we're frustrated and angry that God's not giving it to us, and our attitude is the grass is always greener on the other side. There's always a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow we just can't seem to get to, and there's two problems with that mindset for a believer who's going to live sent today. The first is this. If that's you, you're failing to see the goodness of God in your present vocation. My Bible says that my God is always working for our very best, that he's presently doing more than we've asked and better than we even have the capacity to imagine. That he's actively hearing and answering our prayers, but what we don't like is that often God is using your current assignment as a means to form his kingdom in you. And we miss this when we fill our days with escapism and complaining and lament. In the first year of my marriage, my wife Jill and I moved away. We just graduated Bible college, and we were going to go where Jill could go to grad school. And I got some amazing advice. They said, you're going to give your entire life in ministry. So this first year, invest in your marriage and just work any other job but not a ministry job. And it was good advice. And I thought, listen, I got a bachelor's degree from a Bible college. This is going to be easy. And I learned something in that first year. When you're trained fully in a field you're not applying for, it's worth absolutely squat. I had a better chance of getting hired showing my Blockbuster video card than my resume around Columbia, South Carolina. I went to Jill's college. The college wouldn't hire me. I went to a temp agency. They said, we have no clerical work for someone of your expertise. I went to the storefronts and the mall and the bookstores, and nobody would hire, and the lowest day came. When I sat at a table across from a manager at an outback steakhouse, and he said, and I quote, it would be impossible to train you because you don't have the proper experience and there's no way I could catch you up. And as I walked out, I thought, are we still serving steak? Like, is this black ops for the CIA? Like, what is happening here? And so I found myself in a rundown red lobster on the wrong side of town. The trainer told me that it was the worst tipping town in the United States. And I laughed until I got my first check. I wasn't making nearly enough. I was dressed like a character on SpongeBob SquarePants. I was exhausted and I was humiliated. This was not the job I wanted to build a new home. Did you know, in that dirty red lobster on the wrong side of town, I learned more about loving people and more about ministry than any college class I took before then or I discovered the heartbreak of racism that is still very much alive around us and the power of hospitality. I saw the ugliness of the dishonesty and greed of some but also beauty from the most unlikely of sources. I myself got set free from a God complex, where inadvertently I saw people as projects that I had the answers to fix. And in those humbling days, I found myself rejoining the human race to just love them, to just walk with them, and to watch God move. Please hear me this morning. Your mission is wherever the people God gave you are. And that terrible job 
was one of the greatest gifts and mission fields Jesus ever gave me. He wasn't ignoring my prayers. He was igniting them. But I nearly missed seeing his goodness in me because of my complaint. I want to tell you, if you're struggling at your job today, if you're just surviving your job, there's a second problem. We struggle to see God's goodness in our job, but it's probably also we struggle to show God's goodness there too. See, when you make your whole focus about you getting through, when you wake up in the morning, that's it. How do I get through? How do I survive? When every prayer is just God rescue me from this place and not God let me be present in this place. When you focus on getting through, you miss what he presently desires to give through you. And in America, we've made an idol of our employment. We want it to make us feel good, pay well, and give us a sense of purpose. But I want to remind Bible-believing Christians that your employer doesn't define your purpose, your creator does. And it's time that we stop looking to our job to give us our worth and fix our eyes back on Jesus to do that. Further, let me say this. If the job you're working today is not profane, okay, there's no separation between the sacred and the secular. There's only the sacred and the profane. So I'm going to say if your job's not illegal, okay, then your job, according to God, is holy. It's set apart to provide a service that people need to help them experience life. And right now, somebody struggling in your job, please hear me, right now, you are surrounded by faces who are yearning for God in the same way Jesus had to go to Samaria because there was a woman by a well who needed hope and her region needed to be changed. The Father has people today he has to send you to. You say, I'm just a plumber, I fix toilets. No, you're a sent one who chooses to order your life to receive the Father's love like John to lean back and hear what Jesus is saying and every day go boldly and joyously and passionately to the unique faces your Father adores and to bless them and release his love as you walk among them. That is the kingdom of God. And maybe, just maybe, God has heard every prayer you've lifted up. And he isn't forgetting you, but he's forging his kingdom in you. And for someone this morning, it's time to stop moaning dirges through the walls of your work and start making disciples in the world. Somebody come on. For someone, it is time this morning, when you get up for your Monday morning, it's time for you to just be honest. If the shoe fits, kick it off. And you say, I will not be found this week moaning dirges through the walls at work. I will be found making disciples in my world. Now, next week, I'm going to expand this picture to what it looks like to walk to our friends and our family and our neighbors, the people we regularly see, the cashier at the store you shop at, your barber, your doctor, how we can live intentionally as a missionary without memorizing pres uh, presentations, but just incarnationally being with people and passionately asking God to open doors. But somebody this morning... I feel, and there's one other thing I want to share before we're out of here, but I want to pause right here for just a second because I feel somebody this morning, this is you, you are frustrated and you are disgruntled with your job. Or maybe you love your job, but you are absolutely worn out. You're just spent. And what you need this morning is new eyes and a fresh anointing. So I'm just going to ask you to be bold enough. If that's you, I'm going to ask right now if you would stand. If you're working a job right now that you say, you know what, I'm just frustrated at my job. I don't see the fullness of worth, and it's tough, and I get discouraged, and I'm frustrated. Or if you're at the place, and listen, I just want to say this in love, somebody ain't telling the truth. I just, 
I'm on it today. I told the staff, I said, I'm on an edge. Here's the deal. Let me just say this. Statistically, three people in this size of a room does not match what I hear from prayer requests from people. And I'm not looking at any faces here, but every community group I've gone in with Christians for the last 20 years, it's complained about my job, my job, my job, my job, my job, my job, my job. And so if there's only three people here that are struggling in their job and are going, you know, my job is tough. And the only three people that need a new anointing, I'm willing to move on. But I'm just going to say, if that's also you, you might need to change your prayer request at the next missional community. And I say that in love. So this morning, if it's you, you're disgruntled or frustrated at your job, or you're saying, you know what, I love my job, but I'm just exhausted, and I need fresh anointing. I'm just going to ask that you would stand. I'm going to ask everybody else, you can close your eyes so nobody's looking at them. I'm going to ask that you would, you would stand and join me. And in this, I just want you to understand it's a courageous ask. As I looked, this would have been much easier to put at the end of the message, but I felt like the Lord said, no, you need to stop right here. I want you from where you are just to put your hand on your heart right now. And you would just say this. Say, God, you are presently at work in my life for better than I could have asked and greater than I've imagined. You are igniting my prayers, not ignoring them. And I don't see the full picture, but in this season, at this job, you are being good to me. You're ready to release goodness through me. So God, and I just, if you would hold your hands up, God, I'm done complaining. Would you just tell him that? God, I'm done complaining. You are big enough to place me where you want me, and I'm all in. Open my eyes to see. And God, would you anoint me to do my job with supernatural joy and energy and expectancy? Would you show me who you're calling me to love? And here's the part for every person in the room in your job, if you need anointing right now, I want you to say these words. I choose to bloom where I'm planted. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I command for heaviness, deception, frustration, discouragement to be broken off of your children. For somebody believing the lie, God forgot me, God put me in this job, or they're walking in shame right now saying, I missed this opportunity. I want to remind you that it's in your weakness he's strongest. You say, I missed it. Great, Jesus can be strong there. But if you feel your job is misaligned, I want you to let go of it right now. Say, Jesus, if my job is misaligned, then you align it wherever you want. But every moment you give me, I choose to bloom where I'm planted. I will do my job to the glory of God, and I will love every person you put in my path. And from this point on, I command heaviness to get off of the body of Christ. Now, for those standing before you open your eyes, you can go ahead and be seated. Father, I ask that you would just move boldly and powerfully, that you would give us new eyes for our vocation. If you agree, that's say amen. There's one last thing I need to share. And I just want to say these things. This is just a side note because I know we're all different personalities. Some of you get deliriously excited if you ever see me throw my phone or stop my message and just get in a little bit of a rant or a tizzy. And some of you, it makes you really nervous because you're like, oh, no, we disappointed him. We upset him. Or, oh, no, he didn't get enough sleep last night. Pray for him. I just want to say this in love to remind you because if you spend any time with me, you know I'm not an angry person or personality and I'm certainly not a prideful one. When I stop like that, what's happening 
is God is stirring something so boldly in me that is needed for the body, and I'm finding that I don't know where and I don't know what, but there's some place that there's a breakthrough that he wants, and we can't move on. So anytime you see that, that's not me elevating myself and thinking, I've arrived, come on, church. It's me saying, no, I sat at the Father's feet, guys, and I saw something. I'm just humbly coming to share some bread and say, I saw it. But if I see that there's somebody here, even if I don't know who it is, that didn't get the bread, then I'm going to stop and we're going to distribute it again. Okay? So that's what you're going to see when you see Pastor Chris do that and throw whatever he's going to throw or and all his stuff that he does. <laughs> there is no place within our staff that we think we've arrived anywhere but at the foot of the cross. But because we've seen how he loves us, we can't move on when we see what he's made available to those we love. So there's one more thing I want to share this morning. How do we live a life that we make sure we're not too scattered to be sent? The last one is this. We've got to clean out our spiritual house. I've had the opportunity to read several books and watch some documentaries all on the topic of minimalism. What a glorious topic that is. And all of them share the same basic rule. All the minimalists will say this. If you're coming into a space, you have to clear out everything in that space. And then you will only allow back in what gives purpose value and beauty to your life you know i think they're onto something hebrews chapter 12 says this for us it says therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us he says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses what does that mean it means there's a great fellowship of the unashamed, that there are many people who've chosen to challenge the pace of their life and run a different path of the scent. That if you're making that decision, you're in good company. But if we're going to get there, he says we've got to throw off two things. If you're anything like me, the first one that stood out to me when I read it was we've got to throw off the sin that entangles. And then I've thought about this. The church for the last hundreds of years has done a pretty good job preaching that we need to live as light and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But did you know there's a second item on that list that the author of Hebrews writes? He says this. What's before that? It says you have to throw off everything that hinders. Somebody get this this morning. This is something different than the sin that entangles. This is something that is not sin, and yet it hinders you from running God's race for you. It is possible to live your life avoiding the sin that entangles and find yourself not running the race because you've not thrown off everything that hinders. And I realize that in the church, we've been building our lives on the wrong question. We've been asking the question, is it permissible instead of is it promissional? Is it helping drive or distract me from the race that has been marked out for me? We ask this question all the time. Is it permissible to watch that movie? Is there language or, or, or violence or nudity? Is it permissible to buy that item? Can I afford it and not go into debt? Is that activity morally okay? But I would tell you by only looking at the sin that entangles, we've let our hearts be wrapped up by a million good things that have kept our feet tethered to the ground and our eyes off the race. Recent statistics that have come up how we spend our time in America in 2021 are shocking. They say this, and if you can pull up that slide. How we're spending our time and our resources. The average time usage right now is this. First of all, we spend a lot of time on our screens. 
Three hours and 17 minutes on average a day we spend watching TV or streaming a video. That's the equivalent of 49 days a year. Four hours and 10 minutes a day we're on our smartphone. They estimate there's an average 2,617 clicks, swipes, and taps a day on our phone. Two hours and 24 minutes a day are given to social media. And in particular, they're noting the big five, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Snapchat. And while many of these numbers overlap because they're counting for multitasking, meaning you could be streaming while you're also texting, they guess that the average daily use for the above is four to six hours a day on entertainment in front of a screen. For our time at work, the average work time is 57 hours and 45 minutes a day. No, I'm not kidding, you can't get that in a day. It's a week, 57 hours, 45 minutes a week. And for a five-day work week, that's 11 hours and 31 minutes a day. Average time sleeping, six hours, 48 minutes a day. When they switch over and look at our average resource usage, they have this category called non-essential items. These are items you do not need to survive. They're items that we buy for our comfort or for our preference. The average American spends $1,497 a month on non-essentials. This is nearly $18,000 a year, the exact equivalent of the average global salary. What do these numbers tell us? It tells us we're not sleeping enough. It tells us we're overworking and that many of us are way over entertaining. When we misunderstand our mission, we mismanage our minutes. And every yes to something that hinders is a no for the race marked out for us. I would argue that we are more off course as the church by our yes to misplace good things than the sin that we're so obsessed to avoid. And I'm not saying that we don't have a place for entertainment and comfort and good, but let's be honest, guys, are any of us really lacking for that? Is that really the problem in the church? Is it really that we don't have a streaming queue that's a mile long of opportunities of things we could do? Second question I'd ask, do we feel the church is running the race she was called to run? There's just one more word I want to give this morning, and then I want to pray to empower something. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're feeling any sense of heaviness, I don't want you to feel heaviness. I want you to feel invitation, giddy invitation from your Jesus who says, hey, those 613 things that you think you have to do, I'm not requiring them of you. And if you want to live a life that pleases me, you're free today to start saying no and kicking some stuff out of your house, and you can breathe again. It's okay, beloved. You don't have to die under your faithful yes to all the things you thought you needed. The last note I want to give is this, to parents with kids. I fear that we have normalized overactivity for our children. I served as a youth pastor for 20 years, and I'm watching us on a global level, but especially in America, in the name of FOMO, the fear of missing out, putting kids in every sport, in every play, in every class, in every opportunity. We run ourselves ragged to give our kids all of these things, and the reason we say we do it is because it's a good opportunity, it's for their future, but I have to ask the question, is it hindering them and giving them what they want from what they actually need? Time before the Father and their family, discipleship in true community, and living intentionally on mission. And I'm not here to tell any parent what you need to put your kids in or not put your kids in. I am asking us in love that we would order our days for the next generation very carefully. And that for some of us to give our best yes, that we'd be willing to say some courageous no's.
we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. And today, God has a dream for your life that matters far too much to be too busy for. Would you stand with me? And I want to ask as you stand, if you just close your eyes, and the simple question I want to ask is, what is the Spirit of the Lord saying to you right now? It's a hard message. It's easy to get a message when we get something to add to our schedule. When we have to look at re-examining, re-evaluating the whole thing. When we have to look in the mirror and say, in all of my running around, am I actually getting to the place that I'm coming away just to be with my father? I want to ask right now, what is the Spirit of the Lord saying? Where is he calling you to come away with him just like Jesus did in the midst of the urgent, in the midst of the need, in the midst of mom, we need this, dad, we need that. In the midst of the demands, where is God saying, okay, enough's enough this morning. Don't walk out of here and try to pin on time with Jesus onto an already bloated schedule. Would you lay it down and say, Jesus, I don't know what's gonna happen as I walk out of this room, but you get my best yes now and forever. Maybe you're at the place of seeing how time is being spent and you're recognizing there's just a lot of place where time is slipping out of your hands because there's something greater Jesus has for you to see, something greater to live for, and you're restless. And today what he wants is not to throw another weight on your shoulders. He wants you to lay it all down. Maybe you're at the place you're looking at your energy and your soul and you're finding that the things that are going to matter most in the end are right now getting the end of your energy. You love them more than anything, but they're getting your leftovers. Where is it that Jesus is calling you to say no so that you can give your best yes? Where is he calling you to reorder where is he calling you to change the way you see your vocation and your hours and your activities to recognize that the field is ripe for harvest every moment and your mission is wherever people are? Where is there a weight on your shoulders that he just wants you to let go of? This week I've wanted to be very practical in where we're going to go. Because I know if we're actually going to do this and, and look at our time, and I want you to know before I would ever preach this to you, this has been a message I'm not preaching down to you. It's a message I'm walking alongside you because you can be very zealous for your father's house and still mismanage your time. I'm so zealous for his kingdom. I've crossed the line. I've gone over. I'm running. But there are many places where the Lord is saying, you're pushing too hard. You're working too hard. And there's a place where I just want to see your face, son place where your wife and your children, they need the best of your time and not your leftovers. Wherever it is, would you just surrender this morning? Jesus, I want you to get my best yes. Would you tell him that? Jesus, I want you to get my best yes. I don't want to mismanage my minutes. I want to live a life that matters. I don't want to survive this thing. I want to live 
to receive and release your love. I want to live sent. So anywhere my life is too scattered, I invite you to rewrite the whole script. Now that said, being very practical, I want you to open your eyes and look at me for just a minute. As your teaching pastor, I don't just want to give you a charge and say, good luck. I want to give you a place where you can actually start to walk this out. And if you are anything like me, and I want to tell you, this was hard on my soul. I looked at my time and I was brought to tears because there's stuff being mismanaged. There's a tool that I'm, I want to give you, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here for a minute, but if you want it, you can email me at chuck at myoverflowchurch.com. And what this is, is there's two tools I'll show you. One is redeeming the time. This is basically a place where I took the things that I believe God has called me to do, called us to do. Time that I'm spending quiet before him and my family. Time that I'm walking in the body of Christ in, in community. Chores and necessities, sleep. This idea that I'm just living. And on one side, I looked honestly. I pulled out my iPhone calendar and I looked at the last week and I listed everything and I just let it fall, fall where it was. And it was hard. It was a lot of time misspent. On the second side, I took that sheet and I crossed all that other stuff out. I started over. I started from scratch and I said, God, there's 168 hours this next week. How do you want to build it? You can't just start with what you think you should say yes to or what you think you should say no to. I said, God, have your way. And he started to move. There's one second one which we'll put up about your soul. If you can pull that second one up. And with this one in the same way, it's not just about the hours that I spent, but I had to look at who is getting my best. Who's getting the best of my time, my strength, and my energy, and who's getting the leftovers. And so I stepped back in, I pulled my calendar out again, and I looked at where I was and what I was giving. And I gotta tell you again, it was hard. But this is the place where we find life change. If this morning you heard that story of the Fellowship of the Unashamed, and something rose up in your heart to say, yes, I want that. I wanna challenge you. Spend some time on these tools this week. You can email me, chuck, at myoverflowchurch.com. But this morning is the time where we make a decision. Will we choose to walk worthy of our King? I just want to pray for you this morning. Father, I ask for each of your sons and daughters, first, that there would be no heaviness in this room, no heaviness in this place. But there would be even now a sense of joy starting to stir. I want to ask you to end this message with me where we started it at the beginning. Would you put your hand on your heart and would you just say quietly before the Lord, there's still enough time. I still have enough time. I still have enough time. Somebody needs to let regret wash over you, wash off of you right now. I still have enough time. I still have enough time. I pray this week the Holy Spirit would fill you with a clarity of vision of what he put you on the planet for. I pray this week that he would show you exactly what it looks like for you to live in intimacy with him because he's never created another you that you would be free not to make your quiet time with God look like anybody else's, but just look like what comes alive and brings you near him, that you would see freedom. I pray this week where it feels like there are 613 things you've got to do, where even intellectually you're saying, I've got to do these things, that God would untie them all and say, no, beloved, there's one thing I desire, one thing that becomes a few things that changes everything. I pray that he would fill you with courage this week to make every decision that you need to make so that we would not be too scattered 